Welcome to the football pod. My name is Konstantin Eckner and please welcome with me my co-host Abel Mesage. Hi guys, I hope you're enjoying uh, the summer and maybe the European Championships, which is obviously the one story with some exciting games, some also some non-footballing um, stories that are taking place. And obviously this is uh, transfer season as well, but uh, what we wanted to do for this episode is to talk much more about the, the Euros. So that's why we have we have, get, we have a guest who whose team is not in the Euros, but nonetheless, he's going to be very uh, interesting, a Twitter personality and a journalist. And Konstantin, you can introduce him. Yeah, we hope you enjoy our discussion with Norwegian journalist Jonas Jeva. So Jonas, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So how often can you rub it in that Norway are not part of the Euros? Well, considering the fact it's been 21 years since we've played in a tournament, I suppose there's 21 years of rubbing it in. Um, so yeah, I suppose that's the easy, uh, more... I suppose conclusive answer to your question, but then again, we uh, we've kind of gotten used to it. Honestly, we got, we've gotten so used to it. We even had a um, we even had a uh, discussion in this country about boycotting the next tournament because uh, I mean that is obviously on another note. But uh, a joke was that why would we boycott a tournament we're probably not going to qualify for anyways? <laughs> so um, yeah, we kind of gotten used to seeing every other Nordic country now, even Finland, qualifying for tournaments and uh, us staying at home. Yeah, absolutely. That that's kind of uh, also a surprise. I mean, if you look at the bigger picture, that. Finland are now ahead of Norway, considering that Norway have like a golden generation, a so-called golden generation. I mean, that's debatable, but yeah, first that's, uh, and also you got <laughs> destroyed by Turkey. We did, we did, which, uh, and, and I mean, Holland got destroyed by Turkey as well. Uh, so I don't know. How, I mean, it's it, it, it's one of the weirdest things of, of this tournament, uh, Turkey, because I, I was, yeah. and I'll be honest, I'll, I'll put my, I'll put my name out there. I was one of those that had Turkey as a dark horse. Which Everyone else did, but, but I, I, I had watched them a lot and I was like, yeah. there is something really interesting about this side. They can do some big things in this tournament. And then they just fell apart. Um, but yeah, I suppose if you wanna if you wanna spin the narrative in that aspect, yes, we as Norwegians, our national team, we got destroyed by Turkey. It's, that is correct. It's interesting because like I was also because we're doing a lot of the European qualifiers for the network that I worked for, and I actually paid attention to that to Turkey, Norway, Netherlands group, and I was like the same same thing that you said, and and we didn't talk about this before, but uh, like. Turkey really, really impressive, especially in the Norway game and in terms of like some of the things they did with the build up and or even just like how they defended and how, and and we didn't see any of that. Like that was that was one of them, and they, they just played like, you know, the, the Turkey sides of like, let's say the mid 2000s when it was just no tactics, just kind of these like there's like a 60 meter long team with gaps all over. They they defended like, you know, couldn't couldn't really pressure um like all their big name players like i mean the, the italy game was a good example of it where i thought they you know they defended uh in the first half pretty well but as soon as they moved chalanoglu from the outside to the inside and brought in chengiz in there they they tried to counterattack and they just uh, you know crushed and and then it just became worse somehow and yeah i don't, I don't know i don't do you feel like they're the most disappointing team or do you have somebody else maybe 
Ah, oh, they're probably the most disappointing team um, in my by far. I mean, because everyone had them as a potential winner of the tournament. I mean, and they they no, it was the biggest disappointment. And and I suppose if you look at a team, they are the biggest disappointment. There are individual players that have disappointed me, but but I think if you're just looking at a team, then then I suppose uh, they'd be pretty clear favorites. I'm trying to think now if there's anyone else I'm forgetting here, but I mean. Poland, but then again, did we expect that much from Poland? I mean, they are Robert Lewandowski plus 10. Um, they really, and, and really they are plus 10 because both of the players that would have, um, I suppose, uh, been substituted in for or next to Lewandowski were injured in Piontek and, and Milik, who were both out before the tournament even started. So it, it was just so much for, for Lewandowski to do. And he was he was pretty close there to actually being able to to overcome it as well. So, yeah, I, I'd say Turkey is a clear number one. And if I have to pick another one, I'd sell Poland, I guess. So we have this all out of order now, because, I mean, actually we wanted to start, you know, uh, go right in. But uh, now we are in the middle of the tournament um, already. Uh, of course, Jonas, we, we invited you to discuss the Euros. And um, I, actually, my first question was, uh, I wanted to ask you about, like, how, what's your experience up to this point? And uh, maybe we should just scrap that. And go, go right ahead. And um, you mentioned Turkey. I mean, one of the disappointing teams, also uh, Poland. Yeah, I mean, hard to assess actually teams that have like one superstar and then a couple of uh, role players who might be talented, but also might not be up to par uh, when, it, when it gets against the, the biggest nations in, in Europe. Uh, but, you know, speaking of big nations, like I want to throw something at you and, and get your opinion on it. Um, the The you know, big nations, the favorites and so on. They have they have not lost a match against an underdog team in the group stage. So I mean that's yeah. like kind of is it is it over with like, you know, uh with the old um uh, saying that like there are no small nations. I guess there are a lot of small nations because they all get beaten by France or by or not by France, but by you know Portugal or by Spain and so on. So I guess there's something to be uh, about it. Yeah, seemingly. Um, I've noticed that that one as well. I mean, we've had a few ones that were, that were somewhat close, but not really. I mean, we, we recently had Hungary and, and Germany, obviously, where, where Hungary were rather close to an upset there, um, which was which which is probably the, the closest one we'll get or I, I suppose the closest one we have gotten to to an actual real upset. Um, but yeah, you, you make it you make a good point there. I, I think it's I don't know. I don't know if that is sort of detrimental to how the tournament is now set up with 24 teams that you will obviously eventually you're, you're, you're set there with 16 teams where, where the, the 16 best teams remain. Um, so I think that might be why we haven't seen the big upsets. But I, I think I have a feeling that we'll get one big upset in the round of 16 uh, because there are there are a few teams in the round of 16 that perhaps are viewed as smaller or not as good as some of the teams that are left. And there's there's there, there's at least one upset that I can actually see coming. I mean, and, and small is of course not the right term. Belgium is a small nation, yeah. Uh, but one of the but in you know, football when sense, it, yes, yeah. In yeah, football yes. sense, of course they are they are yes. not, and like Netherlands the same. And uh, and you can argue about Portugal. So I mean, like what, yeah, what's yeah. small? They're reigning European but... champions. They're yeah, yeah. Re reigning European champions. I mean, they can't be small. Of course not. No. <laughs> I mean, of course. I mean, we can talk about Greece. They they also won the championship in in 2004. <laughs> I still I still think they are a smaller uh, football yeah. nation. But they are they are not even even part of this tournament. Um, the exception but, approves the rule. The exception approves the rule. Yes, I think. Yeah. Okay. 
what, what about Denmark in, in 92? Yeah. But but Denmark, I view Denmark as one of one of the dark horses of the tournament. And I, I in ninety two, in ninety two, they shouldn't even have been there. I mean, they weren't even they're, qualified. They're, Yugoslavia they're, was qualified, and they got in. No, but in this tournament, I said that because obviously being Norwegian, we we have to, we follow Scandinavian football and especially national team football very closely. And I and I said from the start of it, I said I had two dark horses in this tournament, and that's Turkey and Denmark. Denmark because they had so many of their matches played in Parken in, in Copenhagen. Uh, which means that I I assume that they would get an easier way out of their group because they, they're extremely strong at home and they've always been extremely strong at home. And then obviously, and, and here, if you want to talk about upset, and this is an upset with a caveat and asterisk and everything else next to it, the Finland game is the big upset so far in this tournament. Yeah. But obviously that has, that had ramifications yeah. based upon what happened. Um But no, I, I think that I think Denmark, um, if Denmark is to win the tournament, yeah, it's an upset because they're not, a, I suppose, a tournament favorite in that aspect. But as a footballing nation in, in, in Scandinavia, we view Denmark as number one um, and then Sweden as close number two. We obviously as Norwegians view ourselves as number three, but we're not even playing tournaments anymore. So I'm not sure <laughs> if we should even do that anymore. No, you're number five. As far as I know, you, you know, yeah. you're, you're right below yeah, Iceland yeah, yeah. and Finland. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. We're we're conference league, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you're kind of conference league, but you have to be careful. You know, it it might it might go downhill from here. Uh, you never know, you know. And then you're battling relegation, and all of a sudden you're out of Scandinavia. All of a sudden, it's we got Faroe Islands ahead of us as well. I suppose that's the next uh, when they qualify for uh, the Qatar 20, what is it, 2022 tournament. Mm -hmm. We're sat here, yeah. Yeah, the Denmark thing was interesting because I like when Casper Hulman took over. I, I was also like one of the like same thing that you said about Turkey. Is that it was another team that I watched and I really enjoyed them. And then yeah. and then like I thought that they're really the only team they their thing like their tactics don't work so much against it happens to be belgium and they seem to just lose against them every time in very similar ways which is like usually just transition defensive transition which is kind of their weakness or just you know individual quality against lukaku which let's face it like most people are gonna lose there so no no mm -hmm. real shame in that but but the attacking stuff was always there and i think in that sense like a, a lot of people got to know like some of the the more Like some of the things are more more surprising, right? Like with with Hoybjerg being so creative, um, plays different. Or you you tweeted about Joachim Mele a lot as, as Meldini, I guess is, is what you <laughs> what you call him. So, but but that's 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 a fun one. Um, are they the most fun team for you, or who is who is the most fun team, or is the thing that you like to watch the most? I mean, in terms of in terms of narratives and stories and everything, of course, Denmark has been number one and the most, I suppose, most tragic and most fun team to watch. Because I mean, I mean, we we've all we've all sort of gotten behind Denmark now, and everyone, every, I mean, we as Norwegians, we we were under Denmark at a point. I mean, they were our rulers from until 1814. So obviously, there's a lot of people saying that. Well, we are kind of Danish, anyways, aren't we? So uh, it's been sort of a um a camaraderie a brotherhood of, of scandinavia around denmark now uh with the exception of sweden because obviously they're still in the tournament um but yeah they, they've probably been the most fun team to watch in that aspect the most fun team to watch where i'm sat and i'm just viewing a footballing masterclass and i have fun to to watch is, is obviously italy because everyone has loved italy and and i don't know if, about you guys maybe you noticed this but every time italy does well everyone 
sort of notices the small details around the Italy team. Like, oh, look at how handsome uh, Mancini is. Have you seen a photo of him <laughs> without his shirt on? He looks absolutely uh, astonishing for his age. Have you, seen the, have, you seen, the, have you seen the Armani suits that the Italian players wear? Oh my God, they're so yeah. elegant. Oh, have you noticed the way they sing the national anthem? It's like, yeah, we. this is something that happens every single tournament. You yeah. just notice it now because Italy are playing well. It annoys me. That thing yeah, annoys me. That's a great point because I feel like the Euros more so than anything, it, it's, this is the the epitome of people talking in cliches, right? And yeah. and we always notice the things like, oh, the Germans are organized or, you know, yeah. they, you know and it just becomes the worst is the steamrolling and, you know, like all the, you know, or, or the, like, it's, it's, and it's like, yeah, as you, as you point out, like whether or not that has any effect on, on the outcome is, is, doubtful at best but but it's it's very convenient to fall into those uh narratives um even if if italy i think have been kind of the standout yeah. teams um i don't know constantine has there has there been other ones for you because you like we we're watching top teams i mean we saw belgium with, with nine points right or, or netherlands or really the the first four groups right so all, all of them has a as a team except for england that, that that finished with nine but are there any other ones constantine that kind of but no, that that's the interesting thing uh, about the Euro. I mean, you you can look at maybe the Netherlands as as one of the teams that has more or less con played convincing football. Uh, but you know, also Belgium. But you see some of the weaknesses. Same with France mm -hmm. and Portugal and Germany and England. I mean, yeah, they haven't conceded a goal. That's something. That's an achievement, of course. But on the other hand, it's kind of dragging when they play uh, down the field, and uh, it looks like Southgate hasn't figured out what to do in terms of possession football, and in terms of like how, how actually to get into the final third and in to, into the box effectively, uh, and not just use Krillish and, and um, Foden and Mount and their talent. So I think like when you look at the, at the, at the map basically and look at the 16 teams that are remaining in the tournament, that's why Italy stands out. Because you have Italy who put it all together. They play exciting football. They play successful football. Yes, there is some kind of aura to the team. And yes, Mancini. And But also I find it interesting that now Mancini is kind of the cool dad. When a couple of years ago, he wasn't. I, oh, that, that course, no, one, yeah. no, no one really considered Mancini to be a, you know, a great coach or something. Or some people did maybe. But he wasn't really in the limelight at the time. Um, but they put it all together. Then, then there are some teams like Spain, England, who are good in some phases of the game, but not good in all of them. Same with Germany, in my opinion. Same with Portugal. And France also. I mean, you would say that France are the favorites still, but uh, no. Well, that past two ga games haven't been that great for uh, to France, actually. So it's interesting. That's why I think Italy stands out, because they, they are the only team that has put all these things together. Yeah, I agree. I, I I really do agree, and I, and I think it's um, it's an interesting one. Now, when you look at the tournament tree and how you see the two brackets line up against each other, because the the first bracket where Italy uh, where Italy are, I mean, eventually you're you're probably going to lose out a lot of favorites really early on in this tournament. Seemingly, uh, I was looking at it, and I, I believe it's um, Netherlands, Wales. Denmark and I can't remember the last one Czech Republic I think one of those teams will be in the semifinal and I think that's I think that's extremely odd um because because none of those four teams to me are 
I mean, tournament favorites. They weren't so going in. I mean, Netherlands, yeah. But then again, teams they they face. I mean, they face the Ukraine that doesn't have a defense. They face North Macedonia, who is the worst team in the tournament. And then, yeah, against Austria, I'll say against Austria, they 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 were good. I, but, I, I mean, that I think Austria so. team is also the one that's like, you know, one of those where. Like probably the best example of the the names that yeah they have like the most amount of names Ugh. that don't amount to a coherent team I guess to put it to put it in the simplest terms yeah and I completely agree yeah I, I, I like to me that was an interesting thing or question and I want to ask this to you guys because um, I feel like maybe it's down to what you said earlier that okay it's twenty fourteen and sixteen qualifies so like unless you do something extremely dumb you're gonna get through and maybe managers are not like going all out and i certainly saw this with players like i, I went to the, the france hungary game and it was very hot and like and this isn't meant to take anything away from hungary or anything but i felt like a lot of the friends like the first time they pressed intensely was like the 87th minute high for, you know first time and, and it would never happen in a league match or even you know even maybe even a friendly or whatever and i and that's that's something that i feel like isn't talked about as much i know um some people like did, did some stats that there are much much more possessions now in the, as, as opposed to the previous euros and they the pace of the game is much slower and i feel like teams are resting maybe with the ball so one question i have is do you feel like the managers are adjusting to this or do you feel like there's been good managerial performances or are teams like holding back or what do you, what do you make of all of this? It's a good question. Um, I think, I think being able to, um, I suppose, transform in, in relation to the, to the game situation in terms of how the game develops is something that kind of separates the good managers from the best managers. But are there uh, a lot of those that are doing it? Cause I felt like, I felt no. like, you know, like what, even, even with France, like, this is what I felt like. They just—it just doesn't seem like like I couldn't recognize any patterns that were there in, in the game. Like in the Portugal game, there were much more of those. Whereas you know, like putting in Mbappe, you know, cutting in and Pogba trying to hit him deep, or but I felt like it's coming slowly. And you know, like it just felt like maybe they have initial plans, but I don't, I don't feel like there's a lot of adjustments in general, and that's why maybe yeah, not not to sound too controversial here, but but if you look at tournaments you know every single tournament that's played it, it, there, there's an argument there to be made that a tournament is won by the team that has either a moment of brilliance or the best individual players there's very seldom that you see a really good team win a tournament it, it doesn't happen very often i i that's a nice I think yeah i think that, that that germany had a very good team in 2014 i think that that was a team performance that won them the world cup but but other than that i mean if you look at portugal in in 2016 was that a good team or was that a moment of of, of magic from Ede? and they were obviously they, they had a bit of that a defensive organization i will i will give them that they had a defensive organization that was interesting but they, they there was they all relied on individual brilliance all the single and all, all the time and i think the same thing went for france as well in, in 2018, uh, they had moments of brilliance, and but as a team, were they really that good? That's, I'm, I'm that's not sure. disappointing to me. Like I feel like both of those teams, like because arguably more, they're most more talented now. I think both of those than the 2016 or the 2018 champion winning sides. But like with with Portugal, to me, it's like they just basically you know they can't play Bruno Fernandes anymore. 
they really like they're supposed to be a defensive team and like they're so narrow with the back four that you can spread them apart. I, I Guerrero, like as much as I love him and I know Constantine is a big fan, like he just doesn't seem to know what's going on. They really don't know, like they're not really like pressing that's coherent. And it's basically Renato Sanchez who can like maybe let's give him the ball and he can beat somebody one on one or maybe switch the ball. And I just I, I felt like that's the team that 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 um had a very clear way of how to like beat France or Germany in my mind, and they just didn't really use any of that. And and I just yeah, like I mean, they might I mean they also started slow, of course, in the 2016 because it was the same same thing they were in the group with Hungary, and so maybe they'll pick it up. But but I'm I'm more disappointed that you know like Andre Silva can barely get on, or you know João Felix we haven't even really seen, and there's all this talent, and I don't feel like they're utilizing it, but. Um, Constantine, what do you what do you make of all of this? Like, do you do you agree with some of these uh, accusations, or do you want to defend some of these managers for us? Accusations? We, we yeah, accuse we them of, of uh, we, we pl- playing least, boring on, on purpose. No, but you know, just not trying maybe as much or not adjusting as much. Yeah, uh, but also as as Jonah said, uh, that's kind of that has been the pattern uh, when you watch the most successful teams in the recent tournaments, uh, be it. 2016, 2018, 2014, the same with Germany. They, yes, they adjusted their style a little bit more to the opponents, but also they play their quite of react, uh, quite reactive style with three center backs, basically, you know, playing a back four, but essentially having three center backs with Hövedes on the left side, and who's, who's, who never crossed the halfway line. Uh, so that's not really a left back. It's just, it's just a, a, a third center back. And, and also style that was more reactive or at least, you know, waiting for uh, errors or mistakes committed by the opponents. So I think that's, that's really what we see right now. And that's why Italy stands out and maybe Spain stands out with the already possession-heavy style. Um, is that uh, plenty of these teams, they have the talent, but they are relying or they are trying to rely more on counterattacking, more on being reactive, more on rating or forcing opponents into mistakes. Um, and that's there's it's not even important whether what the system is they play or what the formation is. So it doesn't really matter. Um, it really is more about the attitude and the style they play. And I think Deschamps and Fernando Santos and Joachim Löw and even Gareth Southgate as three or four head coaches of four of the biggest nations at this tournament, they represent kind of what national teams are these days and i mean that you can now you can uh, of course discuss um how maybe not the best coaches are coaching national teams because i mean the lucrative jobs are at the clubs of course i mean if you have the chance to uh, manage real madrid why would you go to a national team unless maybe you are old and you know uh, want, to, want to have an easier lifestyle so i think that's julian lopetegui ask julian lopetegui about that one well, I mean, he's he's an odd fella. Let, let's put it that way. Let's put it that way. He's 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 kind of, he's the odd man out in a lot of ways. Uh, we we want to look at his his uh, his person and his. Um, I mean, of course, Luis Enrique is also not he's not old or something. But I mean, what's the option? You know, what what are his options outside of the Spanish national team? I don't know if there are any options at high level teams. You know, is he really getting a job at Paris or something? Um. I'm hesitant. I'm hesitant about it. But I mean, Jonas, uh, when we talk about coaches, is there any coach right now, in your opinion, at the tournament, and not maybe not Mangini? I know his Armani suits are, you know, they are, are fitted well, and yes, custom made style. I like it. Um, but uh, maybe outside of Mangini, is there any other coach that has impressed you in a way? Uh, because I think sometimes we overlook the coaches of the smaller nations. 
uh, because in the end, they often lose and then uh, they are out. But we, we overlook them a little bit because it's more their time to shine in a way, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'll bring I'll bring up two uh, that have impressed me. Uh, and that's, that's Rossi, a manager of Hungary. I think he has been absolutely fantastic. I think that he is... And not just and not just um, in in that he has managed to create a cohesive unit, but he has also managed to find a way to live without having Soboslai in in this tournament. Because when I watched Hungary in, in the Nations League, I always thought that well, this is a team. Yeah, they they are ten, I suppose nine workers or guys that work and do a lot of heavy lifting, and then you have one creative superstar who they ask to do the little bit special when they need it. They've managed to find a way around that, and 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 I and I think that's so interesting in that they've also understood their limitations but they managed to expand those limitations within their side if we're going to talk about a team that has impressed me i think hungary really has impressed me a lot and and they were very close to qualifying from that group and i mean that no every single pundit expert sofa expert whatever you want to call them everyone had hungary zero points uh, <laughs> one eight one eighth in goal difference uh, smashed by everyone but they were close to eliminating one of the bigger bigger sides there and, and um and they had some amazing results i mean nil nil against france two two against germany they have all uh, the reason to be proud and i think that they did it by being so cohesive and so compact in everything they did they attack together they defend together they understand the moments and the momentum of the game when they need to fall back and when they can push a little higher that's why i think they waited so long to push high for example against germany because the momentum was more shifted that way for them and they they're able to uh, identify the moments in the game where they actually are able to do things like that. And, and, and I find that fascinating. And I think that's something that they must have had instilled from a good coach um, who, who's, who sees the patterns in the game. Yeah. And like, I mean, I have a little bit of insight uh, into the Hungary team because I've yeah, really? talked to a lot of the staff. And <laughs> yeah. And like what you said, a lot of those things are very predetermined in terms of how do they do the rotations and transition or which spaces to attack or like let's say how do the like how does the like a uh, side center back when does he make the run and they're very you know they're, they're very common patterns that they work on um obviously you can see the defensive shape which is which is or how do they target like for example how do they target ginter in, against germany as he becomes the free man in possession and they let him do it and because they know that you know ginter is not particularly as particularly as sort of a like a side center back who kind of shows up in the fullback attacking positions. He's he's the best, better option than Hummels or, or even like Rudiger or obviously Kimmich or Kroos on the ball. So, you know, you just let him have it and, and see what he can do. And it turns out it's mostly going to be crosses or these diagonal balls you can intercept or you can clear. And so th those are things that, that uh, I mean, you know, yeah, like, like, for example, Turkey, just to bring up a, a different example, like, they weren't doing those kind of things. And, and, and you saw that like in the nation's league, I think Senor Gunas was like, well, we didn't really prepare anything for Hungary. And, and it's, it seemed like they didn't really prepare too much for the euros either. And, <laughs> and like, uh, okay. I maybe I'm not, obviously I'm, I'm trying to, you know, like over, overdoing the point, but there, there are teams. And, and, and again, like this is the edge you have to take sometimes that you, you have a, an analyst or a team of analysts or your coach has a, a better, uh, model that that works in a tournament setup, and and they don't have to change anything. Like I think one of the one of the big things that we talked about is teams that don't adjust. There's a bad side to it, but also if you play a system really well, like like let's say Hungary, 
you know, play that 3-5-2, 5-3-2 really well, then there's no real reason for you to to adjust because it just works. And, and it's not like you're going to have to dominate against France, right? Like you just, you, the, the game plan is set. So who's the second team that impressed you? Yeah, yeah the other one that I would like to, to point out is, is also, um, and, and again, because I... Uh, I interviewed uh, both him and uh, a couple of his players ahead of the um, tournament. Kasper uh, Ullmann and, and Denmark. Um, I think Denmark have been, had they gone out, which was a real concern ahead of the last game, they'd been the best team to be eliminated because Denmark, the first 45 minutes, I suppose we can call it, in that Finland game, they were, I mean, it was one team on the pitch. I mean, they, they completely dominated against Finland until... The, the Ericsson situation happened. And I thought that they were absolutely fantastic in the first half against against Belgium as well. And then Belgium becomes Belgium. Uh, and then obviously in that 4-1 victory over Russia, they show that their attacking prowess, the way that they attack and, and interchange and attack in positions, the way they have, they brought in Mikkel Damsgård to sort of be a more of a runner into the box and, all, and also come um, come into light in, in terms of being creative. I think that Jürgen has been fantastic in, in understanding the the depth of the squad because Denmark has a lot of talent and they have a lot of uh, talent that, that brings different things to to the team. Obviously, this was a team that offensively was built around Christian Eriksen and Eriksen was supposed to sort of be the live wire in this side, but they, they've they've been able to sort of find a different way of, of attacking without him in the, in the side, which um, I think is great credit to Kasper Juhlmann, who who has been, I mean... He's he's done fantastic with the side, but he's he's come into uh, this tournament with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, with a small chip on his shoulder because he wasn't supposed to be the coach for this tournament, and and everyone sort of knows that, and he's admitted to it to it himself. It was supposed to be Olga Harreide, the Norwegian uh, the Norwegian manager, was supposed to to have his sort of farewell but then considering the tournament was delayed his contract expired and Denmark had already signed Juhlmann up as the replacement so Juhlmann had to take the tournament so everyone is sort of yeah you're here and you're doing well but it's sort of weird kind of odd that it's you and not him um, but he's been able to to sort of uh, keep everything in check and then obviously been been handed the absolute most horrific situation that I believe has ever occurred in Scandinavian football, at least on the pitch uh, with the Ericsson situation in a tournament at home in front of all, you know, the maximum capacity at Parkin and then being able to control that and, and still spur the team on both tactically and not. And, and also another thing that's very impressive, which I think needs to be talked about more. He was able as well when they faced Belgium they didn't overattack. They didn't overexpose themselves. They didn't. They didn't. Let's go back to Germany, 2014 against Brazil. When when they lost Neymar and they had the shirt up and everyone was like, "Oh, we're doing this for Neymar," and they got smashed by Germany because it went to their heads. In 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 Denmark, they've been able to to cool themselves down and understand that yes, we we still have a plan to do here. We still need to yes, we're going to play for Christian Eriksen. But we're going to do it in the right way, and and again, that has to show the momentum of a, of a great leader. I think of someone who is able to 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 keep everyone calm and to still keep everyone moving the same direction, even though they they've obviously had an incredible dent in um, in I suppose their their record in, in in some aspects, considering that they lost their best player. Yes. So another, and I mean, of course, I mean, I can totally agree with the that the Eric situation was was. was 
unique, I mean, to say the least, uh, was also something that there's like no rule book, there's nothing you can just follow guidelines or something, because I, I mean, no one is planning that uh, someone is collapsing on the pitch and then, you know, is on the verge of dying, basically. Uh, I mean, that's like kind of how the situation was. And, you know, he was then. He was Players are watching or our teammates are watching him and like the fans we were are watching it. We were uh, watching it on TV. Well, that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's something I would like to forget, by the way, um, that we were that, that we as television viewers were watching it. Um, yeah. Or, you know, I mean, at least there was the option to watch it. I mean, I, I yeah. hope that a lot of uh, viewers and now our listeners uh, just, you know, I don't know, switch channels for a while or yeah. something. Uh, just, you know, went out for a walk uh, might be the best, uh, best decision there um, because it wasn't it wasn't something suitable for anyone. I mean, be it an adult, be it a, be it a child. Yeah. Um, but yeah, of course, I mean, there's nothing you can really follow there. There's nothing you can do. And I mean, even if you are an experienced coach, I, I don't think you can handle well. And even like the players, I mean, some might handle it better than others, of course. It's like really depends on the personalities and just how you are wired. Um, but in the end, I mean, I don't think there's there's one there isn't one player that's not affected at least to some extent, uh, in, uh, especially when it's your teammate. I mean, and even, even like what, what was overlooked a little bit was, I think, was that the finished uh, player that they are also, it wasn't like that they are not cold hearted and standing there. Well, well, we don't care. I mean, it was kind of the same. It wasn't their teammate, but still, I mean, it was someone they know yeah. and they have just played against for 40 minutes. Yeah, it's not like that, that you know, goes by and you, you, you don't care about it. So, um, yeah, but um, that was, and it was very early on in the tournament. And it's, uh, I think what, what really, what I think was commendable was that how fans, players how they reacted to it uh, online for instance and how it was addressed in the aftermath at least it wasn't in the in the off in the aftermath in the in the right way in the appropriate way um, and i think media people just like fans online spoke about it in the right way and and also we hopefully at some point i don't know i mean i'm kind of optimistic here maybe there will be some conclusions to be drawn i think it's hard to do that midway through a tournament uh, but we have to we have to talk about it at a later point about you know just I mean we don't know the reasons but there is something to be to be discussed about just exhaustion and medical screening and like how many how many matches are these players actually playing and yeah how are they actually monitored and how closely are they monitored and I I don't want to accuse the doctors because I don't think they they did anything wrong the, the club doctors and so on but there is something to be said about how closely are these are the players monitored um yeah. and what's really going on in terms of like health treatments and maybe even you know someone not going to a tournament someone not playing a match because there might be something um or someone is not feeling well because you know it, it doesn't even have to be connected to the ericsson situation but i think it was eye-opening to a lot of people again after so many um serious situations and fatal situations since 2000 I mean, I looked it up uh, after the Ericsson um, incident, how many players there were who either died or were on the verge of dying mm. uh, during a match. I mean, you know, dating back to Fea and, and Antonio Puerta and so on and so on. I mean, there are mm. number of players. Mm. That's all, they, these are only the well-known players, by the way. They are also, you know, in lower level leagues. I mean, we don't yeah. even know about the number there uh, because it's not reported that widely, but uh, this it goes into the uh, three, three or four digits, even if you look at the last wow. past 30 years or so. Anyway, um, maybe coming back to a more, you know, lighthearted way uh, to talk about the tournament. Um, I mean, 
Albert, I know you have you have watched all the matches at least twice. We locked you down in your basement and uh, gave you the footage. Um, so, yeah. I mean, there, there are a couple of, like, let's say, technical elements that we might discuss. I mean, one thing I noticed is, like, that the wingbacks uh, play a permanent role at this tournament, uh, or wingbacks, fullbacks, attacking fullbacks, like Robin Gosens for Germany, Spinazzola for Italy, uh, Otto Fiola for Hungary, and so on and so on. I mean, there, there are a couple of wingbacks in different roles, but they are playing a permanent role. So they, you know, they are not in the corner uh, anymore. They are, you know, they are respected now, the wingbacks. Or Joachim Mele to, to, to mention Jonas. Yeah, yeah. It was like, I mean, as much as I think like tactics, uh, in terms of the changes and in the finer things that you see in the league or Champions League match, don't play such a big role. I do think like it's more the base tactics and the base formations that, uh, let's say, works against one team and might not work on another team, like we saw with Germany against Portugal and some of the other ones. But yeah, with the, with the wingbacks, I feel like there's such a shortage of fullbacks in general. And um, a lot of teams, like even France, you know, with... With, they play basically kind of center backs as, as full backs. Uh, now they play Kunde right back, and or even what it, what happens with Germany now with, with Kimmich where he plays. So so it seems like most of these teams are, are going to um, this this wing back formation. Um, I think uh, the Athletic uh, did, did a piece of the most common formations, and they actually did the four three three as the most common one, which doesn't have wing back, but. If you add up all the three four one two, three four two one, three five two, that's actually um, more. So um, I, I always kind of like I, there's two things that I noticed, which is it's just you can obviously stretch a lot of the teams that play with the back four with with high wing backs, and particularly if they have attacking qualities, uh, that's one way to do it, and that was very successful obviously for Germany. I think for some of the other teams as well. Um, or the other thing that I that I actually wasn't me that noticed is Jerome Polent, who is a, an analyst in Germany and a, and a former player. He he tweeted about the kind of inverted wing backs, which which Spain will sometimes uh, use, or sometimes even full backs as well. Um, that you get in crosses that way. So if you put like a, a right-footed guy on on the, on the left side, and and you can cut inside and and, and cross from better positions. I, I I kind of you know kind of saw that other teams use that. Um, so is, is that something that's just for the Euros or what did you guys think about it? Because one of the questions that we got uh, is, is that what's, what do we make of them? What are the biggest weaknesses of the, of the top teams? Like, do you feel like defending this is, is a weakness or what did you guys make of this wingback situation? That's, that's what I wanted to ask. I think that, I, I think that in terms of, uh, using it for a tournament, I think that the wing back situation, or at least playing as a style that's viewed still as a little bit more elaborate than what is normal. I mean, four three three, four four two has sort of been the normal styles and normal formations to play in terms of depending on how if how dynamic you want to be and how di how direct you want to be. Um, the three five two or the three four three, uh, even the five three two, obviously gives you an outlet which is which is a lot more difficult the same way you can also congest the mid uh, so it depends on how how um effective your your wing backs are and how how dynamic they can be i think that uh, for a national team it gives them i suppose a, a decisiveness a sort of uh, an x factor that that's not so normal in, in national team football or hasn't been as normal um which is why i think it's interesting to see that so many teams are are applying it now in uh, in a tournament 
I think that if, if you're going to try and base it off of to to European club football, that's very based upon which which country you are in and sort of what um, what the traditions of the styles are in the different countries that you uh, that you go to. I, I mean, in in Italy, in Italy, you've seen Atalanta have used a, a style of it for for a couple of years now with great success. Antonio Conte won several scudettos with uh, or scudetti as it would be because it's more than one in, in Italian with both Juventus and, and, and Inter. If you look at Spain, the three five two is basically not there. I mean, it, it's, it, it has been there for a little while with, with uh, Ronald Koeman trying to use it now. Uh, and you also had uh, Pablo Machin, who used it at uh, Girona. Uh, but that was, a, but remember, that was a nuisance. I mean, when, when Girona had the 3 5 2 in, in La Liga, it was sort of like, oh, what is this exotic thing? We haven't seen this in Spain before. See, it, it, so it all depends on, on where you go, which is why I think it's incredibly interesting that you see so many teams applying it for an international tournament where you also have less time to prepare. But though if you're able to use it, it gives you an X factor against teams that are not able to defend it. So I think it's um, in Norwegian, we'd say it's shit eller dynamit, which means it's either extremely good or extremely bad. So, and we've seen in this tournament, for the most part, for the most part, it's been extremely good. And I'm very surprised that it has been as good um, because I cannot remember a team that plays 3-5-2 or 3-4-3 that has embarrassed themselves. Um, I can't. I, I might be able to, if someone, is a, if someone wants to correct me, then feel free. But I cannot think of a team that, that's played a formation which has been like, that's horrible. There were for times example. when it didn't work. Like I feel like sometimes with Austria, with 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 the way they were using Alaba and Hinteregger, but yeah, I wouldn't wouldn't go as far as saying it was. But that's more based on selection. That's more yeah, based yeah, on yeah. their selection, yeah, yeah, not the, the, not the formation itself. Mm -hmm, that's more based yeah. on on Foda not being able to pick the right player for the right position. Or, I guess it's kind of like Switzerland for me were a little bit disappointing, and especially in the yeah. first couple of matches and. Because they they did like it's like the perfect team that has like Mbabu is to me like as good of a wing back as you can have, but it wasn't. I don't think he's he's kind of played himself out and Subers playing so uh, yeah. But I I agree with you in general. Like uh, the, the just the question that that we got was uh, and I'll give you my answer is, is that what do you think is the biggest weaknesses of these top teams or favorites? Yeah. So let's say like the, the teams that are still in it. Like is there is there one thing that you've noticed or you guys noticed? I think that I think that they they're more uh, susceptible to be to be caught on the counter mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. because because I think it gives you you're trying to create a, a superiority uh, in the offensive half, but if if there's a break in the middle, you're you're extremely vulnerable for for someone to counter you on the wings, for example. So. I think that I think that France are going to love playing against teams that are three five two. I think they're going to absolutely think it's great to be able to break in the middle and then spring Mbappe, Benzema, and, and Griezmann. I mean, and they have the players in midfield obviously to break a play. So if if you're not very very careful against a team like France, you can get you can get absolutely hammered by them because because I think that they. They see that as the formation that probably is is the one that they would like to a, face. Yeah, attacking yeah. three five two, right? Because like yeah. when they played Hungary, it was the five three two, and like they did have good chances mostly in the first half, but it was a very closed match, so they couldn't 
Mm-hmm. But Hungary wasn't supposed to attack in that match. I mean, oh, Hungary course, yeah. un- Hungary understood that's why, limit- that's why I meant by you know being a yeah, yeah yeah yeah. But that's that's I, what I'm saying about limit. It's the if mm-hmm. they face Belgium, for example. Yeah, exactly. If they to face, I think I think I think France could absolutely smash Belgium if they if mm-hmm. Belgium play the way that they've because you've also seen with Belgium from and and especially against in a game against Denmark, they kind of understand themselves that our defense is not the best. So we kind of have to attack to make sure no one sees how bad we are defensively. So, and that, and that is one of the uh, positives, but also one of the weaknesses of, of the five, three, two or four, three, or um, three, five, two, or whatever, because I think it also in masks that you have perhaps limitations in defense, but if that, if that, you know, bottle is unscrewed, it's you're gone. I think. What do you think Constantine? Was there, was there something that you, you noticed in terms of the sort of, you know, tactical deficiencies or where you could attack them? I mean, no, I, I come, yes, of course, but I can also come back to the point uh, we discussed earlier that I think a couple of coaches, I think that was uh, very prevalent with Portugal to a lesser extent with um, Croatia, by the way, and, and also England, that some of the coaches, uh, England maybe to a lesser extent, but um that some of the coaches are not really capable of adjusting their uh, their overall system. I mean, you don't have to change your formation, you don't have to change everything, but you know, adjusting their system to the opponents, especially when you when you see that, like in the first twenty minutes or so, that it's not working. Especially, I mean, if you are if you are too you know too compact in the middle and you can't really defend against the wingbacks, then of course you have to change something. Otherwise, you will be beaten at some point sorry unless your Fernando Santos is like ah, I'm just just fine yeah. I mean, generally... but that's yeah but that's the thing uh, some some coaches don't react <laughs> uh, or they react too late um and especially I, I wonder sometimes because uh, I mean with the national teams and with let's say Portugal is, a, is in my opinion a good example because when you look at the squad you you got a couple of players who can uh, fill in different roles um you know it's not just one one system and like all players have to fit in one system you see that uh but they don't really coach some of the coaches don't really capitalize on kind of the versatility they have uh, in their squads i mean the same with germany i mean they're they're awesome there are more possibilities than joachim Löw as the, as the national coach is actually exploiting um but it, it seems like now it's almost too late i mean now you're going into the knockout stage um and like the um the hesitation and even the fear um, even gross uh, in knockout matches because then you are really fearing that like one mistake and you are out and you know you don't want to commit anything uh, crucial as a coach and so I think that that's that's a more broader point and I watch a couple of matches where, where I'm really curious about why are the, the coach not doing anything why is not adjusting why is he not reacting uh, personnel wise or tactic wise um, and that's it's kind of it's disappointing, uh, but it's it's to be expected. Uh, it was the same 2016, 2018. There are two tournaments I remember vividly. Um, it's not not enough. It's nothing new, um, and it's nothing new in, in national team and international football in general. I mean, you see some of these aspects also in qualifying matches, where in a in, during an international break during that free match stretch, you don't really see that much uh, changes uh, unless you know your, your nation is getting beaten five 0 or something. Maybe then you see changes. But always, if if there are close matchups and close results, you don't really see much uh, changes. And um, yeah, it's it's kind of disappointing, but it is what it is. Um, so Abel, we got a couple of questions on Twitter. Is there any any Else we should discuss, and 
because we we asked you guys, the listeners on Twitter, uh, to send in questions, and uh, I don't know if there's something else we should discuss. Or as we can, of course, we can I wrap it up. Just wanted to kind of add my sense to the weaknesses and like the same thing, but it's but it's more in terms of being able to counter press. Like that was a and that, that comes down to the structure, like. You know, in in German, you call it rest verteidigung, right? The rest defense, which is how is your the the players who are not really involved in the attack, how are they set up? And I felt like that was a big thing with Germany. You know, with like like I felt Kroos wasn't really in the right positions because he was pulled out, uh, and he doesn't couldn't defend the defensive midfield six spot. Uh, I felt like you know, kind of Denmark has issues there in transition because of the way they're. Sometimes and that's sometimes a, 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 an issue with the way you are set up with the back three, and you'll have you know one maybe defend one sort of playmaker who maybe isn't as good enough defensively, or you know you just have to cover a lot of ground, or maybe you have to cover for the wing backs, and and I feel like that's where there's a lot of you know a lot of teams that maybe just play like a, a simple system like Deschamps, and then you just have Kante who just covers up or. You know, uh, obviously it's easy if you have Kante, but um, I felt like that was a thing and, and maybe that will improve, but, but that was something. And one, one other thing I noticed, which was the lack of the set-piece goals. Um, like, you remember as the World Cup uh, 2018 was this huge, you know, it was maybe like, depending on whether you counted penalties or not, it was like maybe 51%. And now I think there's only like 10%. I wanted to try to find the, the, um, the exact... Uh, number for uh for this but but now it was uh yeah now it's it was, goals now this, this yeah, yeah 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 it's uh yeah i think it was like nine goals from set pieces at, at one point that i that i see now and yeah own goals is the uh the the, the tournament leader with <laughs> with yeah and i was wondering like that the, the, did you do you guys feel like there's anything to it or is it just random because like logically it would make sense that okay the players are tired the pace is slower there's not a lot of adjustments you know, there's a lot of individual stuff. You would think that would be uh, that would be conducive to have more set pieces, but it doesn't seem like it's, it's happening. No, I, I don't think I don't doesn't seem like teams uh, prepare as meticulously for them anymore uh, for some reason. Or I, I might it might also be that it just haven't it hasn't presented itself as a great opportunity as of yet. And I think that set pieces and set piece goals they become more the norm once you head into the knockout stages because then you sort of realize that those are key moments in games i mean a, a corner kick a free kick uh, can determine a game because i think that most of these teams that are remaining now are able to close out a game defensively they're able to i'm not saying that, that they that they can do it at every single time but they have that ability which means that um a set piece will become so important that's why I, for example i i alluded to it earlier I, I will not be surprised if you see a set-piece goal win the game between Czech Republic and, and the Netherlands, for example. Um, because I think that that it might be that the Czech Republic score from a header. I mean, I mean they have Suchek, basically, the, the Czech Republic's answer to Marwan Fellaini. So um, they, could, they, could basically, they could basically win the game by doing that and obviously understand the ramifications of getting a set-piece goal. Also... For England's sake, England, who actually did have a lot of set-piece goals in that 2018, they haven't had Harry Maguire. And and something like that could be, it could be as easy as that. I mean, that was a, a key well, element to their attacking two game. Or three times, right? Like, I remember the John Stones one where sometimes it's just that, where, you know, you get a great set-piece. And I think, like, Hungary had those as well, where there was a lot of 
good chances. I think even France as well. So I, I felt like there was an inordinate amount of just set piece chances that ended up, you know, getting a great save or hitting the post. It could just I would be- also, yeah, I would also be very interested into knowing how many of those set piece goals from 2018 was from South American teams. Uh, for example, the likes of Brazil and Uruguay are are famed for being famous or i mean they're, they're extremely good at, at utilizing set pieces they've always been that uh, at least since the 90s when uh, brazil sort of remodeled their way of looking at football from being the samba nation to being a very rigorous and physical team that sort of which has been their mantra um actually up until this point i suppose uh, and and uruguay I mean, when you have Jimenez and Godin, who always, obviously are, are always going to throw themselves in there, you, you you kind of base a lot of your attacking prowess on knowing that if we get a set piece, we actually do have the ability to score here. And and I think that perhaps perhaps as of right now, you haven't seen teams utilize that to to, to the same uh, same degree. And I think also just to run, run off my point, I think that France, who are a physically very good side, they actually do lack some of the really, really good uh, aerial duels, du- dual players. I mean, it had Samuel Umtiti, who was, I believe, scored one or two goals from set pieces at the 2018 World Cup. So, I mean, those types of players are seemingly, where at least they haven't shown themselves uh, as as of right now in the tournament. But I think that once we head out into the knockout stages, I'll, I'll, I wouldn't be surprised if you see a lot of games being determined by by a set piece. All right, uh, Abel, are there any other questions we should ask uh, answer? Um, we just had uh, a few about Germany, which and then you know um, some some stuff about Hungary. Obviously, have uh, you know overrepresentation of Hungarian followers as a, as expected. But well, it's, yeah, it's, it's what mostly, can you do, right? Yeah, I guess I guess the interesting one is from Ronan Murphy, which is uh, can England one zero their way to the final. Um, is Southgate's attempt at uh, pulling a Portugal 2016 France 2018 the best way to use the players at his disposal? I thought that was a that was a good question. We we talked a little bit about England, but I thought that's that's worth it because I think the England Germany game probably is the one that, and we can maybe combine those questions about Germany as well because that's probably the one that everybody talks about as a randomly put on a Tuesday like six o'clock which is okay, but uh, like well, what can you do? I mean, the schedule was made. Yeah, yeah. Ago. What can yeah, but uh, so what do you feel about that? You know, do England have that sort of run in them, Jonas, or what do you feel about maybe Germany? I remember, I remember, uh, was it 2014, I believe. Uh, anyways, there was a term coined in Spain, uh, un seroismo, which was which basically one means one zeroism, which was a which was a uh, term coined by Atletico Madrid, who obviously kept winning one zero one zero one zero one zero one zero all the way into winning the championship. Um, and I cannot really see there's no similarities for me between Gareth Southgate and Diego Simeone. So it's kind of interesting if he's going to try and adopt that sort of sort of way of doing it. But then again, I think I think that that going for that, especially with England, who I don't necessarily see as being it's so difficult to say because I, I think that they have the ability to be an extremely tight and 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 well-organized defense, but I cannot see as they progress through the tournament, that, that that defensive solidity is going to be what they base their their victories on. I think that they need to they they need to find out that attack. They need to find out how to to get more. I'm I'm shocked, and I, I know especially Constantine is shocked by this that that Jaden Sancho is not playing more, and that they're not able to get more out of a player like that. It's crazy. 
I mean, I mean, fine. He's not been been playing because he's been doing his, uh, I suppose, seventy-two hour medical with Manchester United. But anyways, it, it's he still they still have to be able to to get more out of the players that they have, um, and 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 defensively. I don't think that that is going to base them all the way into into winning a tournament. I think that they need to get more out of the attacking players. I think he's been reading Konstantin's uh, tweets and stories about himself, and that's that's been taking his focus away from that. That's why Southgate is. I mean, I can break that news to you guys on the podcast. That's why really Southgate is uh, ignoring ah. Sancho. It's it's it's, it's pretty much. I knew it. Yeah. I, I, I knew it. But that that that's the interesting conundrum when it comes to England. Uh, you you think like about all the attacking talent they have. Uh, and then the kind of def- not defensive approach, but the, the stability-focused approach, I would call it. Uh, also with Declan Rice and Kelvin Phillips yeah, in the middle, where where you you got two center midfielders. Especially with Kelvin Phillips, he could be a more attacking midfielder, uh, kind of what he does for Leeds United. But he's uh, apart from you know some phases in the in the first game against Croatia, he's more used as you know stabilizing center holding midfielder type of guy. Declan Rice is just a typical holding midfielder uh you know holding in the in the kind of in the true sense that he's holding onto the ball and and keeping things in balance and you know not not committing any mistakes covering space um so you got these two and then you got two fullbacks usually i mean uh, like uh southgate has tried out a couple of fullbacks now um on the right side especially you got walker trippier james you know he he, t- he tested all of them in, in each match a, a different one uh, and luke shaw on the left side in two matches after trippier was um, so they are also sometimes they make forward progress, they advance, but sometimes they are staying more behind. You know, they are more restrained. Um, so it's really interesting to see that you, you got you got the typical national team approach uh, you saw from from France, for instance, um, in the 2018 tournament. Now from England, um, I don't know if the attacking tele- uh, talent is comparable to France, but you have a couple of big names up there. You got Krillish. Uh, of course, uh, Foden and so on, and and Chayden Sancho is of course one of maybe the most prominent name uh, next to um, Harry Kane. So it's yeah, well, it's um, it's interesting to see, and I don't know if they were if they can one nil their way to the to the end of the tournament and to the trophy. Basically, um, I think it, w- it would be interesting because the fans uh, would still be happy in England, of course, but yeah. they wanted to have a more exciting tournament. So there's kind of it's <laughs> kind of they. I think a lot of fans are torn now. Uh, of course, they want to win the trophy, but they want it in a in a more exciting way, especially that most of the ma- or that all the matches for England will be played in, in London at Wembley. Uh, and in front of 45,000, 60,000 fans. Um, so there's also another aspect to the whole kind of thing. I think we, we should wrap it up at this point. Um, and I, know, I don't know, have, has any one of you guys uh, one like hot take or weird projection or something you want to share right now with us? Is there anything, you know, maybe a, a hot take that will haunt you in, in a few weeks, but it's still fun to talk about? I'll go with mine. I'll, I say that the Czech Republic will eliminate uh, Holland. Ooh, ooh, ooh. That, 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 I don't know if I can get any any uh, hotter than that. Now watch as Holland win 5-0 against the Czech Republic. But yeah, I, I, I have a feeling that, that um, there's one thing that I think is very underrated with this Czech Republic side, and that is uh, their willingness to fight. They're mm-hmm. willing to get physical. They're willing to get into your face. They're willing to to do the dirty work, to to put you off your paces. And I think that that's something that, yes, it's part of the dark arts of football, but at, at the same time, it's it's something that, especially in tournaments, will win you matches. 
They, they might not win you every match, but they'll, they'll win you a sufficient amount of matches at times. And there's something to be said about this Czech Republic side that, that they've grown into this tournament. I mean, they've finally found a striker that scores goals. I mean, Patrick Schick has been fantastic. And, and it's the, and it's the, 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 it's the, successful Patrick Schick, not the Roma Patrick Schick that's that's met up. It's the actual good version that's that's at this tournament. So they have that. I think that they have a lot of interesting pieces in their team and they also have a ruggedness about them. They're willing to fight and they're willing to to take teams uh, off their balance. And I think that I think that the Netherlands side are fragile. I think that they are fragile. I think that if if they are challenged um in in the physical aspect i think that they might crumble and i think that i think that they'll lose to um to the czech republic abel any hot takes i really can't get any hotter than that i i, uh, I, I, well, I mean i mean you're you're a known hot taker so <laughs> of course that that's that's kind of that's kind of my corner for the uh yeah in the uh, football world is uh, mr hot takes himself uh yeah like i don't know i mean i just i think that's a that's a this is a really good one i don't, I don't know if i necessarily agree but i do share the this the struggles that uh like or the, the perceived struggles of netherlands in terms of transition and and i think they they like they're one of those teams that i feel like people kind of fall in love with easily because frankie de Jong is playing like this but you know it's not necessarily how he always plays or You know, it could just be that they were in a group that was, you know, maybe not not the toughest. So, yeah, I don't know. I I, I was I was trying to trying to look for something, but I I really don't don't really see that. Maybe something with Sweden, you know, maybe something with Sweden mm-hmm. going far. I I I I, 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 uh, I think you we know, don't need that. We don't need that. Let Sweden yeah, get eliminated here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I think what would be interesting is 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 the the maybe the Golden Boots uh, winning thing because yeah. that's that's one of the things where I feel like you know all the the bigger names that you would have thought of, you know, like whether it's like Harry Kane or I guess Benzema scored a couple now, but you know penalties. Or even Ronaldo scoring penalties, but but Mbappe has been basically missing it. So, so um, I don't know. Like I'm, you know, I guess like Gini Vinaldum uh, <laughs> is leading leading <laughs> the, uh, the or joint lead. But uh, I'm trying to trying to think like who who could who could. I mean, you know what? I'll I'll say this. I'll I'll go with with Kai Havertz to to win the Golden Boot, and I'll be, just because just because I think like Germany might get far. So I'll I'll go with that. And now, uh, of course, now they're going to get eliminated by England. So I, I guess so. I guess so. But, but yeah, that's that's a, that's an interesting projection. <laughs> I would say mine is that I say one of these days, maybe during this tournament, uh, Bruno Fernandes and, Chris- and Cristiano Ronaldo will get into a fist fight over who takes the next penalty. Nice. Uh, but I'm, I'm not sure, but I guess one of these days it will is happen. Is that a hot take? Is that a hot take? <laughs> I mean, it will be a hot fight, right? Um, yeah, well. <laughs> you know, one one guy is going down there. One guy is going down. And I, I think I, I'm envisioning uh, Fernando Santos, you know, running on the on the field, trying to get them apart. But, you know, at 66 years old, I don't know if he's really capable of doing that. Uh, especially especially he has a very p- pass, passive coaching style. You know, guess, all of a sudden he has to run on the pitch. I don't know. Renato Sanchez has to do that job as well, you know. I mean, he does most of the things now for Pretty much does everything team, else. So. Like, why not? <laughs> Just Good another point. thing he has to do, you know, you're multitasking now, yeah. Um, anyway, I mean, on a, on a more lighter note, uh, after we also discussed some of the uh, more serious things at this tournament, I think it's time to wrap it up. Uh, Jonas, of course, uh, we were delighted that you joined us uh, this time for our show. 
Uh, thanks for you know being part of it, and thanks for sharing your thoughts on the tournament. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure, and I'll uh, I'll be back whenever you guys would like to have me back. Usually now I'm saying the Twitter handle of our guests, but um, I'm not sure about how your Twitter handle is pronounced. So you are at yeah, I'm at Che Yevara, which is C H E G I A E V A R A. Well, you will at least get uh, two or more followers from that because uh, that's <laughs> that is, it's not made for audio. But yeah, well, you, you probably knew that when you when you chose. I, I probably don't need. Yeah, I probably don't need any more followers, anyways. To be quite honest with you, I'm pretty. <laughs> you you are um, fed up with your followers. No, it's okay. just I, I. No, I'm not fed up with. Any, I love every single follower that I have. I just am still wrapping my head around why and how I got so many of them. <laughs> that's. Mm. There are some people who think you will start a riot or a revolution in Norway uh, at yeah. some point. Good point. Um, you know, like that, yeah. uh, all right. If there is a socialist revolution uh, up there in Norway, <laughs> we we know who we we should arrest. Um, Abel is at BundesPL on Twitter. I am CC underscore Ekno on Twitter. And if you want to support us, please visit patreon.com slash the football pod. And for now, we are out. <laughs> <laughs>